Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another new episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Sano, joined, as always, on this rainy May day. Yep, that's right. It's May out. By the Doug Baldwin to my Richard Sherman. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, feeling clutch. Feeling good. Yeah, we're doing our ex-Seahawks here, and our very own Tavares Jackson. That's right, shooting holes in the ceiling. Eric, this is the second time you've been Tavares Jackson. <laughs> does, does it hurt more the first time or the um, second time? You know, it's not going to hurt until I'm Matt Flynn. So, Whoa, Matt Flynn's going to subtweet us now. He's going to be like, hey, what the hell? I have, I have the uh, I have the, the, the Seahawks uh, won the Super Bowl, and I for some reason it's hanging up on my, my board at work, and I was like, is Matt Flynn on this team? Oh, that's right, he's not. Yeah, the just just uh, just <laughs> neither about, Charlie Whitehurst. It just felt like he was on the team. For I felt like Matt Flynn just never got a chance again. You know, it just kind of just never happened. I don't necessarily think Matt Flynn was bad. His got Wally pipped. His peripheral peripheral stats don't look that bad on paper, and he just never got another shot because he got Russell Wilson was better. He could have been somebody's Matt Schaub. Yeah, he could have come in like at age thirty and been somebody, but they just like he kind of got hurt and he just never really got another chance. And well, and then he was and then he was on the Raiders, and that's just not good for anyone's career. No, not at all. All right, I'm gonna start off with a with a little bit of a rant. Everyone loves when I rant. Okay, everyone loves yes. when I rant. So uh, this is to everyone who to uh, all the haters, to everyone who told me, who decided this week was a good week to tell me that you think Akeem King is going to be the starting nickel corner or has the inside pole position to the starting nickel corner spot uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. And my response to that is, what? Why? I uh, wonder you. I wonder where this rank came kay. from. Now I get so, it. So Akeem, Akeem King, okay, one, do you, have you watched Akeem King play foot, football? Because Akeem King in the last two years has spent less than 5% of his snaps playing in the nickel. Okay, he is he is a backup outside corner and an excellent special teamer. He is great depth for the Seattle Seahawks. He can play a little safety. He could play slot in a pinch. He plays a pretty decent backup outside corner. But there's no way he has the pole position for that job. Well, what are his and two so, weaknesses? So, so when people signed J- Taylor, I was like, my response was, "Hey, great! This is someone who can come in and compete with Ugo Amadi for the starting job." Not even mentioning King because I don't think King has much of a shot to win this job. And people just came at me like, oh, well, you know, don't forget about Akeem King. Oh, Akeem King. It's like, shut shut up, man. Like, one, watch Ugo Amadi's tape and tell me this guy is not ready today to cover slot, slot receivers and tight ends in the NFL. If you don't think that, you're nuts. He w- And he was excellent. He, all his all his snaps at rookie camp were in the slot, uh, playing slot corner. He just He's ready to play that position. That's what they brought him in for. Then they bring in some nice veteran depth to push him, which is a very smart move. It's a very it's a very John Schneider Pete Carroll move, right? Hey, here's a guy who's a little down on his luck, who had a bad season, but he had a good season two years ago, and maybe he can redeem himself. We're gonna give him an opportunity to compete. Very Seahawks, right? Yep. Then Akeem King's here. But we know what Akeem King is. We've had him for like six years. Okay? <laughs> we know exactly what he is. He's very good at what he does. Plays special teams, plays outside corner backup, can be a little do a little safety. He bodied Travis Kelsey in that game a little bit, um, did a good job with that, but that was like almost from the strong safety position, not really from a like a nickel corner. So I don't really understand where this came from. I this Can is I no, no slight to Akeem King, but I'm gonna guess these these a holes they read some kind of News Tribune article four months ago when <laughs> we had none of these guys on our roster and just kind of took it to heart. When when we've been saying all offseason, nickel corner is a position of great need for the Seattle Seahawks. It's something they had not covered on the roster after Justin Coleman got paid. And now they drafted a guy, and they signed a guy, and they have sufficiently covered that position. They did not. I do not think they had an on roster guy that was one hundred percent ready 
I think I think there's a better chance like Tedrick Thompson or Delano Hill would have got that job over Akeem King if they if they didn't sign anyone. So right, I have Kevin, a theory about ahead. where this comes from. Um, who is our number three outside corner right now? Uh, Akeem King. Akeem King. In Madden, who is your nickel corner? <laughs> the, the number three cornerback. Oh I'm sorry, gosh. but that is the perspective. It comes from an antiquated concept of roster building. In the modern NFL, slot corner is its own position. That'd be like saying that your, uh, I don't know, number two defensive back, by definition, must be your free safety. It's like, maybe that's not the position they play. Akeem King lacks long speed and lack and he's tight in the hips he doesn't maneuver super one, well one thing on kim king is like when we went into the bandit package last year the seven dbs package like he's on the field sure like but he's playing safety or he's playing outside corner he's like, functionally playing coverage safety yeah which works differently he's a guy you could put on a tight end because the tightness in his hips isn't as big of a deal because he's covering a tight end tight ends are tighter as well that might be why they're called tight ends deal with it <laughs> but you put him on a guy, a, a corner, a quick slot wide receiver, a twitchy guy, and he's going to get burned. There's a reason that wasn't something he was asked to do. He's bad at it. I wouldn't put Trey Flowers there either. If Trey Flowers loses an outside corner spot, don't think he's going to be going sliding into slot corner. That's not how roster building works. You got to move side to side there. So let's get out of the Madden mindset and... Understand. Uh, rest in peace, uh, uh, headphones users. I just accidentally slapped my night mic, but uh, you're uh, just that emphatic. You did it out of anger. <laughs> but you're looking at three different positions. There's the two outside corner positions and the slot back position. The slot corner position. The slot corner position is now clearly probably um, Tedrick, Ugo Amadi, and uh, Taylor, and those players are competing there there's a reason why nico thorpe wasn't going to get a crack at slot corner that's not what he does so this is just some roster building perspective people need to keep in mind um yeah so the the uh yeah all right we all in agreement basically that uh I mean, I'm really excited about what we have in nickel corner now to be honest like and I'm really excited about I think Akeem King is like an excellent there's no way he, his path to the roster is so clear right now I think quietly our defense is really interesting. Yeah, it's deep. It's talented. It's uh, young. It's versatile. Young, it's cheap, fast. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys on here, and I think like yes, I would like one more defensive lineman to add to the rotation, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, so, okay, I wanted to do a Twitter question right off the bat. We got a couple good ones. Okay, so let's let's go with this one. Who would you rather have on the field? You got your fourth. <laughs> Injuries have made it come to this point, guys. Okay, you got to have Barkevius Mingo or Shaquem Griffin on the field. Okay, at this point, just from a football perspective, I don't think we can account for contracts, special teams impact, anything like that. Who do you just want to be playing for the Seahawks? What position, linebacker or the end? It was an open-ended <laughs> question, but I I would say uh, I think linebacker. I think these guys. I feel like that's where it's leading us to. So we're looking at our Sam linebacker, probably. I don't want either of these guys to play Sam linebacker. Um, there are four linebackers on our depth chart that I would prefer to put at that position. Like that's that's how far down uh, 
that like none left, of them are Austin left, Kletro. left outside <laughs> linebacker. Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. Austin Kletro. I'm sure you're. I'll nice answer the question. KJ Michael Burkhaven and Barton, I feel like, are all ahead of in terms of like coverage linebackers. Yeah, I, absolutely. But I mean, at gunpoint, I guess I'm. I guess I'm picking Shaq because Mingo has had many years to show me he he can do something in coverage. And I don't know if you've like looked at Shaquem Graf- Griffin's coverage stat, but or I mean, sorry, at a. At Mingo. Mingo's coverage stat, but it's it's not a, it's not great. Well, we brought Mingo in to pass rush, and we didn't use him for that. At least that's what we thought we brought him in. I'd also rather take Shaq only because we know he can play special teams. But last year he had a good preseason, didn't quite do it in the regular season, and I like to see that there's going to be some growth growth there. I don't I don't think that he's he's a garbage player, and I truly believe. Unless he wants to get cut, that he's improved. Last year, Mingo was targeted 24 times. He gave up 21 receptions for 214 yards, and he gave up 140 of those yards after the catch. Not, uh-huh. not, uh, not exactly. So he's ins- not great at coverage, but he also can't tackle. Inspiring confidence. Yeah, he had seven missed tackles, and he only had 26 tackles. Honestly, I'd rather play with two linebackers. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that, Kevin. But if you're forcing me at gunpoint to pick, at least I know that Shaq could possibly have improved. Right. Uh, Mingo, I just think at this point in his career, it's we're, we're on year seven this year starting. We know what he is. Mingo, at this point in his career, has proven that he is not big enough to play defensive end and not rangy enough to play linebacker. Right. He is a tweener in the worst definition. Yeah. I think that the, the thing that sucks about him is, like, I think he has good run defense instincts. And if he could have just put on a little bit of bulk to be a defensive end, got to like 255 or 265, you know, because I don't know if you know he what He could it, have been a functional rotational I don't know if you player. know what his listed weight is, but it's 235. He's not big. He's just... You he can got, see it in his shoulders and his pick. He got caught in the middle, right? Like yep. you said, like he just... he If he could have put on the weight because of his run-stopping instincts, I think he could have been a really solid rotational defensive end, but it just didn't ever... It never came together for him, and it's un- unfortunate. Um but, yeah, I mean, if you get eight total pressures last year on um, 71 pass rush steps, that's not horrible. I just kind of think he didn't really get a lot of opportunities. You know, 544 snaps, played a lot of first downs, didn't get a lot of uh, pass rush attempts. And he's just – I think he's he's also a misused piece in our system. I think he's an outside linebacker in a 3-4 in, in an ideal world. And this is not – we're not living in that ideal world. Agreed there, too. Um, so – uh, yeah, I guess I'm. I guess I'm. I'm forced to go with Shaq. Uh, but like I said, there's a bunch of guys on the roster. I think I would put ahead of them in pole position for those jobs. Um, and I, I think, like I said, Jacob Martin and Barkevius Mingo. There's a lot of overlap there, and I would just take the guy who's younger, cheaper, and would you know and has upside. Yeah, probably better. Yeah, J- Jacob Martin. It does a. He does a thing, man. He pass rush. He's a pass rusher. He's really good. He's sudden. Um, I, I appreciate it. Um, okay, the other question we got. Let's just get. Let's do it. I like this question. Who'll be the most impactful pick, draft pick of this year's class? Eric, I'm let you go first, man. Who do you Ooh. got? It's a tough question. All right, I'm gonna say I want from each of you guys. I want who you think is gonna impact the upcoming season the most, and who you think is gonna be the most impactful in their Seahawks career. Okay, and I will say this: I think there are like five legitimate answers to this question. So yep. I, I'm so I'm like really excited to hear what you guys think. All right, I'm gonna go dark horse. Um, Maybe not even Dark Horse. I will be full optimist, and I will say Jennings the third. in fact. Gary Jennings third. Gary Jennings the third. Uh, I think that... It's a big opportunity to play slot, right, with Doug Baldwin? <laughs> yeah. Yes, with, the, with the exit of Doug Baldwin, I feel like this is a, a kitschy choice for me to do. But you know what? I'm all in on it. I Kind of like when we brought in Amadi when we drafted him. It was immediately known why we brought this guy in. 
watching a lot of tape of Jennings. He's Doug Baldwin light, which, let's face it, no one's going to be Doug Baldwin. Uh, not even Doug Baldwin was Doug Baldwin for a number of years. But I think that Jennings can be automatic. He can move the chains enough. Um, will he get the clutchness? Will he do that? That that remains to be seen. That'll take some time. But I'm excited for Jennings, so I like him. That's my immediate impact. For long-term impact, what is it, Kevin, two, three years, you're asking me? Uh, we'll figure rookie contracts, four years, fifth of your first-round pick. Uh, that's the man. minimum. I really feel like I should say Collier, but I don't. I don't. I don't know. I really don't know what that pick's about. Um. Jeez. Uh. Cody Barton. Why not? All right. All right. Uh, I like that pick a lot too. I like Ben Bercurvin. Is between one of our new linebackers. Okay. Uh, Nathan, Ke- I want, you, I want you, you want me to go first. Yep. Oh, okay. For me, it's a uh, it's a pretty big slam dunk for both actually, and it's the same guy. That is DK Metcalf. That's what I was um, expecting. Uh, DK Metcalf. Um, I think I was early on this. I think somehow I, I, you know, I was the first. I think I was one of the first guys out here saying I don't understand why people think he's a bad route runner. I don't understand he he runs these routes really well, and they don't ask him to do a lot. Like there's a lot of potential here for him to grow as a player. Um, he slipped during his three cone, so it's like not as bad as it initially looks. Um, so on and so forth, right? And then they. Then now this week, all these videos come out and they're like, DK Metcalf, the next Megatron. And they're like showing play breakdowns <laughs> where he looks really good. And it's like, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. Like this guy has very legitimate skills uh, that are instantly applicable to an NFL football field. Um, that doesn't mean I don't think the other guys will be impactful. I just think Ugo Amadi has a perennial pro bowler upside. And he could, I would not be surprised this year if he has DK s- Metcalf. DK Metcalf, yeah. He said Ugo Amadi. Oh, sorry. DK Metcalf has <laughs> a perennial pro bowler upside and, you know, has the ability to just this year maybe get like 800 yards and, and eight touchdowns, like right from the, right from go. He's that talented and that that special. And I think a lot of teams passed on him because they're nervous about the injury. I think that was a big part of it. Um, and that's that's a really fair criticism, a really fair reason not to, to pass on a guy. Medicals is a big reason. Um, we saw that this year with Deontay Thompson. Um, I scouted Deontay a lot, and I thought Deontay has the ability to play single high safety, a very difficult position to play at the NFL at a pretty high level. But everyone says his medicals are whack. That's why he went in round four. So that's and that's a good reason to pass on a guy, right? Like, and that's stuff we don't get to know when we're scouting guys. Yep, it, we don't get to know what, what a guy's medicals look like, and then once we find out later, okay, well, he's yeah, his knees are bone on bone, or you know, there's something weird like that going on. It makes it all make a lot more sense. So you know, that's the kind of thing that you only can know about from from being inside the process, right? Yes. So DK's, maybe DK's neck to some teams just took him immediately off the board. They said, this is not something we want to deal with. Football's a violent sport. This neck injury is something that would be really easy to repeat. He's off our board. But that 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 kind of ten- timidness can be the Seahawks' ability to gain here because getting a guy like that at 64 who has legitimate top 10 talent is pretty rare. And um, it's great value, you know? And there, there's risks. It's but, a lotto but, ticket. But, That's a good one. But you get to, but you get to, you get to say like, well, the risks are worth it when you're picking him at 64. You, when you pick him at 17, you're like, eh, the risks, is it really worth it? It gets a little scarier, right? All those risks set up at 64. We did not sink a giant asset into him that is like, our team will be broken if it doesn't pan out, right? 
it's it's instead it's like this is a very fair like uh, risk to take and it one with the ginormous upside. All right, Kevin, what you got? All right, so I felt like one of us was definitely going to take DK Metcalf. I really like the Gary Jennings pick, and so I'm going to pick the other player. I felt like we that one of us had to take, and that is the Freudian slip of the tongue. Ugo Amadi. It was hard for me not to pick him because I know he's going to be good for uh, the first time. Basically, day. whichever one of us picked Ugo, the other person was going to pick DK and vice versa. That was that was bound to happen. So Ugo Amadi is going to slide into a necessary position right away, and he's going to provide strong play at the slot cornerback position. Um, he has upside where he could potentially end up playing safety long term, or he could just be a really good slot corner, which is a valuable position in today's NFL. Everyone comes out in one one personnel. You need three corners on the field. Like that's, that's exactly just, it's it. kind of the way it is now. All yeah, right. we play we play over fifty percent of our snaps in uh, with that third defensive back on there. I'm praying you pick my other guy for your long term guy. So uh, Ugo Amadi is a guy I think could come in, and I think he has a lot of special teams potential as well as being a starting player. I'm torn between two players for long term. For long term. You could just say DK Metcalf um, too. It's okay. But I'm not going to because that's a clear one. Like, I agree, DK Metcalf. You know, uh, we say that one for you, Nathan. I'm actually going to take the other side of the coin flip that uh, Eric okay. threw. I think Ben Burkirvan is the long-term answer to KJ Wright's position. Uh, he projects there perfectly. I think that the way he plays, his personality, and I just I, I think that he is a guy who's going to be a regular for years. The guy I was debating between was Ben Irvin or Marquise Blair. Okay, because I, I feel like it's bad to not have. I, I feel like you need both of the, those it, guys on this list. Isn't okay because Marquise I, Blair. I mean, I don't know if he ends up being a free or a strong. I think he's a strong personally. But he, um, but he had like the second highest coverage grade of any Pac-12 player last year in it. And Pac-12 had some good secondaries. And he's just a really good, interesting player. I think is next it, year you're not going to see a ton of impact from him because he's going to take a year to figure out how to read players from NFL defense, and he's going to have to learn how to tackle. You're going to see him pull like what Shaquem Drif- Griffin did, where he's going to light up some dudes on special teams tackles, where there's a big pop and the whole crowd and the whole team like gathers around him and slaps him on the helmet because he like blew somebody out of their cleats. But and, uh, you're not going to see him making huge, I think, game uh, plays on defense for probably a year. And here's the thing about Mark. Can I say one more thing about Marquise Blair? Sure. Everything you read about the guy just makes him more Seahawks. Like he's a legit. He's psychopath. very likable. He's kind of a like like a legit psychopath, competitive, like super. He's he. Can we start calling him Dexter. He fits the culture, man. <laughs> What's funny he fits is the culture. He, he, he's he's the psychopath that has clearly been channeled. What's funny is we did, none of us mentioned LJ Collier, but I mean. Here's the thing about LJ. That's because LJ Collier is not going to be the most impactful now or the most impactful in five years. He's going to be like the third most impactful now yeah, and the say, third most impactful for the next five years. He's pretty. And just always be good. He's pretty plug and play. Like if you wanted to give me the safest answer, like the one I'm like, I ha- if I had to choose at gunpoint, like if this guy doesn't do anything next year, you die. Uh, I'd pick LJ just because I know he's going to instantly step in and be good on run plays. So, so yeah. and like both, he's gonna and he has a he has a pass rush move, so he's gonna be okay on some pa- for some pass rush too. I think I, it's not like Rasheem where his like pass rush set is super raw still, uh, and hopefully I'm hoping that came along because Rasheem has a lot of potential. But like the LJ, his pass rush set, he already has one established move, right? Yep. And they never asked him to do anything else. Watch if you watch TCU tape, it's like he all he does is the same thing over and over. It's so boring. So yep. I don't know. And he's asked to read the run. Uh, I, this has a really strong chance to be one of those drafts. 
I think at least one of the wide receivers, if not two, end up being long-term assets for the team. I think we're talking Jennings and Jazz, right? Uh, for your wide receivers. Yeah, exactly. That's Thank it. You. Uh, Thank DK, you. Uh, Gary Jennings, <clears throat> and John Ursa. Um, I think there's a good chance. I think for sure one, if not two, of those guys will end up being um, assets on the on the on the team. I could see Phil Haynes being a guy oh, who Phil Haynes is dope. Like long term, ends up being just a really stable right guard beefy for, boys for eight life, years. Kevin. Beefy boys for life. Yeah. Kevin, how, how much? How many? How beefy are you at feeling right now? Very beefy. <laughs> feeling pretty beefy. Feeling pretty beefy. Feeling pretty beefy. Um, all right. So, uh, hey, Wendy's for dinner. We have these. <laughs> where's the beef? It's on the Seahawks' the offensive line. Phil Haynes ate it all. Uh, you know what's? I'll just say this right now. We're not. Uh, we're not like the best O line in the league. But it didn't take long to fix. Tom Cable. It turns it turns out getting rid of Tom Cable yeah. <laughs> was a very important step in not having a Tom. It was Cable almost like line. half the battle. Uh, also, shockingly, Raiders' offensive line completely fell apart. I don't know who saw that coming. Well, Gruden's, but all of us. Gruden's crazy. Well, you know this uh, this kid this kid Mike Mike this Mike Mike. I'm just by this kid much Mike like when Mike. Hank Williams Jr. left the booth. Or left the intro to Monday Night Football. I'm just, <laughs> left the booth. I'm just biding my time for John Gruden to come back to Monday Night Football, where um, he belongs. Okay, so I know people probably thought we'd lead with this, so we probably should get to it. Um, <laughs> Wait, which which of the two lead stories that we've now uh, buried? Okay, Z- Ziggy Ansa. <laughs> okay, Seahawks sign uh, Ziggy Ansa. We, we certainly buried two, <laughs> uh, which. Which is great. Uh, Ziggy Ansah, I'm going to give you two two things about him. You ready? In 2015, he was the sixth most product, pr- pr- productive pass rusher in the NFL, getting pressures on 10.2% of his snaps ahead of such stalwarts as Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill that we love so much. In 2017, he was 21st in the league, reaching pressure on 8.1% of his snaps ahead of some, uh, some Seahawks Nest favorites like Justin Houston, Brian Aragpo, a billion, a ton of people. I mean, 21st is pretty high up there. So here's the deal. Okay. Um, it's going to say it. This guy's good at football. He has trouble staying healthy. And uh, if he is healthy, this is 10 sacks in the bag. Uh, and it's basically exactly what we needed. Just someone we know can step in, produce, rush the passer. Uh, Ziggy Ansa, good, good at football. Um, that's it. That's all. That's all I got. That's all I really need to be honest with you. Another thing is, um, surprisingly good run stopper too. Um, he has in the full seasons he played twenty seven run stops, twenty run stops, thirty run stops, thirty five. I mean he he gets after the 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 runner too. He's not just a one dimensional pass rusher or anything. He's an actual defensive end. So to put it in perspective, he's a lot like another player that we picked up from Detroit. Uh, he's going to occupy that Cliff Averill spot where he is much more sudden, much more uh, of a fast pass rusher. So people thought LJ Collier was going to come in and take over the Frank Clark spot. And as we talked about last week, uh, LJ Collier is much more of your base end, your Michael Bennett type. We were playing Frank Clark in much more of a Cliff Aver role, and that's what Ziggy Ansah does really well. He provides, you know, decent run coverage, 
But what he really provides is he's going to get a lot of pressures. His pressure rate is going to be very high. And if our defensive line is what we're trying to build it to be, it'll be nice because we can rotate him in and out a lot. We won't have to play him a ton of snaps, which could help him see the field for you know more of a season. You know, if we can get something like 2017, where he missed a couple of games but had double-digit sacks, had really good pressure numbers, that's perfect. Can I can I read you something from a, a Ziggy Ansah scouting report when he came out in the draft? Sure, let's do it. Okay, <laughs> a native of Accra, Ghana. Uh, Ansa tried out for the basketball team in 2008 and 2009. After failing both times, he joined the track team, but left at the end of the 2009 season and joined the football season in 2010, despite warnings from Mendenhall and his staff. The then-sophomore conceded to being worried about how much contact occurred in a football game and noted that he always considered his body a delicate flower. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) He is... Cue someone saying, for another, sounds like a Seahawk. Ready, ready for another thing from his, uh, his scouting report? He has openly admitted to a lack of stamina, and fatigue is notable after a few plays of rushing the passer. <laughs> isn't, this, isn't this like just the best scouting report? Yeah, they certainly are um, trashing him. Um, but, he went uh, in the seventh round, but then right? he went on, No, no, he, he ended <laughs> up going like sixth or something. Uh, but he, he, um, he was rough around the edges coming out of college, and he just instantly, like... He improved so much just from, like, sophomore was the first time he played football, his sophomore year of college, to his senior year. He's, like, a clear first-rounder. And he just obviously absorbs all of that stuff. And I'm, I, I'd i love to see – I'm just excited to see him join the, the Seahawks, you know, as it's a guy who just keeps getting better and keeps working. And The upside's huge, and the investment was minimal. And here's the thing. His body is a little bit of a delicate flower. He seems to pick up dingy injuries all the time. Well, depending on who you talk to, he could be, like, 50, 60 years old. I was going to say, old. it depends oh, on how gosh. old he may be. When you get to be, be his age <laughs> – I love that. Oh, Thanks, Augustine. That, that conspiracy yeah, about how old he is. I love it. Is. I'm in on it. I bought okay, it. Okay, we're going we're to look at a picture. What do you guys think? This is a picture of him right 47 now. 47 years old. Uh, I think he's 31. I think he's one year. What if he's related older. to Satchel Page? I hate you guys. <laughs> um, all right. Who's the kid for uh, uh, the Little League team? Be, be right back. I'm going to go find a, a different I mean, podcast. Is he, is he Danny Almonte's uncle? I hate you guys. <laughs> Ooh, Danny Almonte, deep pull. Oh. <laughs> All right. The Seahawks, uh, they signed they signed uh, Al Woods. They also signed oh. Jalen Harvey to come in and compete for the uh, for the the nickel corner spot. But we talked about that. Um, they, they signed, signed Al Woods, a signed, very large man who plays up. on the inside but of a defensive one line. Sign, but there's one signing they made. That is just unforgivable for me. Okay, and no offense, Nick Ballore. I'm sure you are a, a fine human being. But if the Seahawks go to the opening game of the season with a fucking fullback on the roster, I'm going to lose <laughs> my mind. Just keep four tight ends and make Ed Dixon play fullback on it's the one own, play a game you want to use a fullback. It's your own do not, fault. Do not waste a roster spot on a guy who's going to play four snaps, no special teams, and does not matter in the modern NFL. For and two Bo weeks, Scarborough, Bo Scarborough I, is clearly fullback sized. I hate one. fullbacks so two weeks much. in a row. Nathan's like, we don't have a fullback. Can I tell you how happy I am about that? And then what happens? That's I, true. You reminded them. We they started clearly forgot. too soon. Uh, they signed. To, they did sign Demetrius Knox, by the way. Yes. Uh, that's um. So we talked about Demetrius as like a potential mm-hmm. guy uh, that we thought was looking pretty good. Uh, we thought like inconsistent tape, but physical tools there. Um, he's probably going to be a backup guard or practice squad guy. 
Uh, they signed Marcus Martin. He's like a he's like center depth. Uh, I guess if Posich isn't ready or they decide to finally move on from Joey Hunt, that could be a guy that ends up being our backup center. Um, That's not I, a bad upside signing. I'm just I'm just kind of covering quickly the uh, some of the uh, late signings yep, here. Little uh, roster moves. The um, Justin Johnson. They signed another tight end. I don't think there's a clear very much of a path for him to the roster, but he'll come in and compete. They did end up signing Jazz Ferguson. Um, that's. I sure. Guess, I guess we certainly need an extremely raw wide receiver to put on the practice squad. Yeah, I was gonna say him and Terry Wright are probably like he's another guy we signed there. He's he's on the Cyril Grayson plan. They're Ooh. probably a hundred percent shallow pull, but I appreciate it, Kevin. Um, JT Tuley made it from Eastern. I really like that. Um, he's really big. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, uh, six, uh, four, he's a large human. He's six four three forty. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I've not watched much of his tape. I'm gonna get into that like. Uh, Later it is really hard to evaluate interior defensive line play in D2. Uh, uh, this is Division One, Double A, Kevin. Um, <laughs> That's why I said. Uh, Al, Al Woods was signed. Um, Al Woods is a guy who's bounced around the league for like 10 years. We had him um, we, in 2011. We, we could have just kept him, him at one point. Uh, and I'll just say Al Woods, he's he's like, they're, you, they're flashes. Like, he's not bad. He would be solid depth if, a bu- if you know, Mater and Christmas and Tioli and Monet and we'd never sign another defensive tackle and we decide we got to keep four defensive tackles and all these guys are trash, Woods provides a nice floor of, like, well, if DeMarcus least, Christmas isn't ready to play any snaps. Yeah, then this is a guy we can keep around. I like that. Um, Devontae Davis and Derek Thomas, they probably have hard, really difficult paths to the roster, but they're both rookie free agent cornerbacks and they'll be nice practice squad players, so I'm into that. I'm looking for that diamond in the rough in a cornerback position. I think yeah. Derek Thomas has a lot of tools. Yeah, Devontae looks, looks not bad, too, like, from yeah. the things I've looked at. those Both those guys are, like, Derek Thomas, though. That's, like, the f- physical marvel. Like, that guy is insane. And, yeah, it's just I don't have no idea what he's going to be. He's, he's bad on tape. Greg Hallman of his, corners. His tape is harrowing to watch because he had to play against Big 12 offenses. So it's, like, it's rough dude yeah, there's it's... times where he just straight up misses or like i think there was one game where he gave hollywood brown like a 10 yard cushion and you're just so like he's gonna get torched so bad he's gonna get torched so yeah, bad like well he had a he got against, torched think bad. about the guys he's playing against he's playing against like keem butler at iowa state hollywood brown at oklahoma he's playing against oklahoma state like all these every team in this freaking conference texas has little jordan you know like every team in this conference and colin johnson has like an awesome wide receiver on their team. Or they just have four wide receivers that are all good enough to make you look dumb. All right. There's one more thing I wanted to... Oh, we're going to save the... the We're going to save Doug for last, just so you know. That's like dessert. Yeah. Um, I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to savor it at the end. Okay. I think it's always fun to look back like three drafts ago and give the draft a grade after the fact. So I've been kind of su- saving this to, as like a, a surprise for you guys. So we're going to look at the 2016 NFL draft. And I'm just going to go over it really quick. And I want you guys to think like hits... Misses, uh, and then like just the Seahawks overall or in general. Nope, just the Seahawks. Okay, so we're gonna look at our 2016 draft. This is a three three years ago now. Okay, uh, so here we go. Jermaine Affetti, uh was our first round pick, number 31 at 218, 49th overall. We picked Jaron Reed at 327, 90th overall. We picked CJ Procise at 94, 332. We picked Vanette at 97, 335. We picked Odiambo. At 147, fifth round, eighth pick, we picked Quentin Jefferson. At 534, 171, we picked Alex Collins. 640, 215, that's Joey Hunt. Uh, 243, we picked Kenny Lawler. And at 247, we picked Zach Brooks. Okay, Eric, 
What's your just like when I read that off? What's your first impression now, looking backwards at the 2016 draft? How do you feel about it? I like it. I really like what we did, uh, grabbing some players that we still use. Imagine how much better that would have been if we didn't have Tom Cable as our offensive line guy. Look at the three guys we drafted for the offensive line, and Joy Hunt is probably out. Jermaine Effetti did not get his fifth-year option picked up. Odiambo is uh wait. Yep, Odiambo was a was a okay. He was a compensatory third rounder. Okay. Um, I thought I thought he was a fourth for a second. Anyway, um, is he? He's no longer on the team. Is he active anywhere? Uh, yes, Odiambo got signed by Arizona, San oh, Francisco. Uh, it's in division. Typical. I can't remember. Okay. Either way, um, I'd say without those three picks, that is a solid draft with um. A little. I'm surprised with how much I like it. Actually, it's tough for me to uh, to know that we drafted, you know, Jermaine Fetty with Cody Whitehair still available, and knowing that that was a thing that we could have. If you're looking at value picks, could have had CJ Procise. If you would have been healthy, it would have been great in the third round. But but Jermaine Fetty in the first is definitely a stinger. Jermaine Fetty in the first uh, is. I think that is a big cable issue. Um, okay. I think Jaron Reed is probably what saves this draft. But Jaron Reed is a good pick in the second round. Nick Vanette is a solid pick at basically the very end of the third round. Quentin Jefferson in the fifth is a decent pickup. Yes, I agree. Quentin Jefferson in the fifth is actually like the secret like gem of this draft. Quentin Jefferson is a very solid rotational player. You ideally want to walk out of a draft with four guys. We walk out of this draft with two guys and two half guys. Yeah, because Collins turned out to be really good, but he he kind of just lost the trust of the staff with all those fumbles. And Odie, yeah, he's a, he's limited too, though. And I thought I think Reed is a Reed is a dude. And then I think Vanette and Jefferson are useful roster pieces, and Effetti's like half a dude. Yeah, that's what's frustrating. If Effetti was a hit instead of a miss, this would be a good draft class. Effetti being a miss is the problem with this draft class. Where I would go so far as to say that. It has a chance, I would say 2013, which is the uh, Kristen Michael draft. Mm. So we got our guy. 2016 and here. 2017. Here, let me. Let are me, the three that drafts that really give me a lot of. Let hesitation. me like break. Let me break your heart a little bit. You guys ready? Yeah. Um, what if, what if at the end of the first round, instead of Jermaine Fetty, we picked Michael Thomas? <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was that was the thing we could have done though. Okay, um, you can always do this with any draft. That's why that's why it's a joke. Um, but that. That pick is clearly a miss, and there was uh, one, two, three, four. There's five Pro Bowlers picked in the second round. So, and we, there were we reasons to believe up. that was a miss. Um, you know, we could have had our second round pick was our better pick, right? And that our second round pick probably will be the sixth Pro Bowler from this group because I think Jaron Reed's on that path to yes. making a Pro Bowl. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's let's give it a grade. All right, here we go. Grade the Seahawks 2016 NFL Draft. Eric Ronnebeck, what are you thinking? Uh. Man, I'm going to say a C plus, but I'm grading on a curve because Cable is clearly influencing the draft. To get that many pieces out of this and NFL pieces that actually stuck around, let's face it, the last two names that you that you read were the names that haven't stuck around. I feel like it's a little better than average. I'm, I'm more optimistic than I was before you started. Kevin. C. Yeah. I, I, think, it's a, I think it's a very average draft that could have easily been like a much better draft yeah it's a c plus for me 
And like I said, like if that, like Kevin said, if that first round pick hits, if that first round pick, you know, is any of these guys that turned out to be really good, you know, if we pick Xavier Howard right there, you know what I mean? Like just any one of these guys that's Sterling Shepard, there's all these guys in the second round that turned out to be really good. Um, if we had one of those guys instead, I'd probably be bumping it up. Even the guy that was picked with the very next pick, Emmanuel Ogba, like I'd much rather have him than Fetty. Fetty has just been a, kind of an all-around tough. He's just had a tough go of it, you know. I think that Cable. I think the best thing sucked. right now would be if Fant beat him out, just because I think Fetty needs to go somewhere, have a chance to maybe reset his career a little bit. Maybe we can deal him for a six-round pick at the end of camp or something, and maybe he turns into something somewhere else. I actually think that there's a good chance of that if the right team picked up a Fetty. But here's what'll happen: is a Fetty will get. Traded, they'll, they'll give a seventh round pick for a Fetty to the Raiders, and they'll just ruin him more because yeah. Tom Cable sucks. Yuck. Probably poor, poor Jermaine Effetti. Um, but yeah, I think Effetti lands in a good spot, gets some good coaching because the physical tools are there. And I think we've said on this podcast a million times there, you watch stretches of Effetti, you watch him play, and it's like incredible. Well, if you're Houston and you have really two good. running backs taped together trying to play tackle, then why wouldn't you like? throw a nothing pick for a guy like a Fetty and go, we're going to bring him back towards home and we're going to see what we can do to kind of inspire him or something. It's pretty good, Kevin. Um, yeah. I, th- I would, if I was an NFL GM, I think Fetty seems like a great reclamation project. Like if I'm a comp, like if I'm the Patriots, cause you could probably get for like I a can, conditional five. And I know I can turn offensive or offensive linemen into dudes. Like I think, I think that I would totally do it. Yeah. But it's yeah. All right. Anyway. And then the next year you get the compensatory pick when he leaves and he's good. Yep. <laughs> That's the when cla- the readers give him seventy million dollars and then ruin him. That'd be classic Patriots. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's that. All right, we saved this for last. Um, I always think it's weird to talk about guys who are still alive. Like this is doing stuff like this is like basically treating them like they're dead. And I'm I'm going to say this right off the bat: if there's one Seahawks player who I think could have the most impactful post career uh, arc, it's definitely definitely Doug Baldwin. Uh, Doug Baldwin, I think there's a chance Doug Baldwin is like our House of Representatives member for uh, District 9 three years from now. You I know, could easily see something, something like that. Like, he's he's smart, he's driven, he's politically minded. Uh, there's there's a, I think there's a good chance of something like that happening. He's a so, great speaker. So I don't want to, so I don't want to say, you know, hey, I don't want to treat him like he's dead. He's not. He's going to have a huge, he's going to ha- continue to have a huge impact on our community. This is his Seahawks wide receiver. Eulogy. But this is, but this, but he is no longer going to be playing wide receiver for the Seahawks. And so I think it's fair to think about like, what was, what's, uh, what's your, what's your favorite Doug Baldwin things? Eric, you've been, you probably thought a lot this week about Doug. Oh yeah. What do, what are your, what are your thoughts just on the retirement and maybe your favorite Doug moment? Um, we kind of, I don't know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It seemed like it was on the horizon. It started to feel very unlikely that we were going to have Doug back. I'm sad. I mean, Doug Baldwin is, he's what I cheered for every game. Because as much as I loved Earl, uh, loved Cam, those those big hits were great. We wouldn't get a Sherman interception every week. Um, we expect greatness of Russ on every single play. Um we expect study run production, but that first down, that clutch first down out of nowhere, the moments where, and I would say this is my favorite Doug Baldwin moment, splitting the defense on multiple occasions, taking off where you thought he had no business going 40 yards uh, into the end zone or right near the end zone. Those are my favorite moments, and that's where I wax poetic and I think about Doug. Uh, it's funny, we, we kind of peel back the curtain a little bit to the listeners but a couple summers ago uh 
Doug Baldwin was investing <laughs> in a uh, in an app, and one of uh, one of my friends invested in this, and basically got time with Doug, just talk one on one. And I was in contacts with uh, in contact with his agent about getting him on the podcast, and I was I was pretty stoked. I thought we were going to do it, and um, it did not happen. Because Ob- we, obviously, well, <laughs> it's it's really it's hinging. I I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't invest three thousand um, dollars. That's but, a lot to do with us not having any money. And, and I'm sorry, to- and I'm sorry for that, guys. But it's uh, that's it's kind of my favorite memory because I heard what the conversation was like with my friend and Doug, and I was like, "That's gonna be us. We're gonna take this. Doug's gonna be a friend of the podcast." And uh, but yeah, in all seriousness, I do. Uh, I do love Doug Baldwin as a player. He's probably my second favorite Seahawks receiver of all time. And Ooh, who's number one? I mean, it's got to be Steve Largent. I grew up in that era. See, I, and I grew up after Largent, and I always loved Brian Blades, man, when I was a kid. Really? Yeah, I was never a Blades I always guy. Thought he was like, I always <laughs> thought he was like underrated. Joey Galloway was really good, too. He For the four games he played here, he was really good. <laughs> Nathan. I also really like the I, draft picks oh, we got. No, from. we're throwing it to Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> oh, yeah, Kevin. Got, go all right. It. So, Doug Baldwin... Are we going plays? You can go plays. You can go whatever. Go wherever you want, Kevin. All right. I'm going to talk about a theme, and then I'm going to talk about a play. So, the two thing there. There's three things I think of when I think about Doug Baldwin, and you know Nathan especially has known me forever. Uh, Eric knows me well enough. My favorite position in baseball is catcher. You know, I like watching offensive and defensive line play. I like grit. I like somebody who. Maybe as a 7 out of 10 on talent, but an 8 out of 10 on ability. Um, that's always been... My favorite Mariner growing up was Dan Wilson. Uh, things like that. And Doug Baldwin just epitomizes... He's a self-made player in so many ways. And his game represents that. You know, when you think that the play's broken down, all of a sudden you look up and you're like, Is that Doug three steps past the deep guy Doug's open holy crap or oh hey we need eight yards for a first down so we're probably throwing it to Doug right or hey Doug's probably just gonna slip that tackle because that's what Doug does every time we need him to he was just Mr. Clutch he was Mr. Everything he was Mr. Reliable And a play that epitomizes Doug Baldwin for me is a game I think about often. Because when I think about what the Seattle Seahawks offense could be, I think about the 2015 game against the Pittsburgh Steelers that ended up being that big shootout against, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger and, and Antonio Brown and everything that that Steelers offense was. But the play that kind of broke the game open for Seattle It was a third and nine, and Doug Baldwin comes across the middle running a drag route at the first down marker. It's like 32-30. There's uh, like two minutes and six seconds left, and uh, yeah, they throw just like a a crossing route. They threw a little crossing route to him, and he stepped through a tackle, stiff-armed a safety, and ran up the sideline and busted the game. He he destroys that safety, by the way. Yes, he does. He gives him a little baby stiff arm. A little baby stiff arm, (laughs) as Marshawn would say. Uh, okay, um, Doug. And by the way, I remember nearly peeing myself with joy in that moment watching it live. Here's here's my thing about Doug. Is from the first day he was a Seattle Seahawk, you got to see the kind of competitor and person that he was. 
um, 2011. I'm gonna go back to his rookie year. Wearing what you, know, you guys remember his rookie number? Oh, it was, gosh. It was not 89. Oh, it was uh, 11 or something like that. Or 15. So, 15. Okay, so his rookie year, he wears 15. He he um. Doug, coverage. Master. Doug Baldwin is yeah. He's going. It's against the Rams. Uh, he blocks a punt, and I just remember. He takes his helmet off and goes mental, dude. <laughs> just screaming and yelling and stuff. And I'm just like, this is my dude. And so I'm gonna go with two special teams plays because in the in the NFC Championship game against the 49ers, uh, we asked him to return kicks, something he had not really done hardly ever his whole career. Because uh, Percy Harvin got out, got hurt because he's Percy Cause Harvin. He was hurt the whole season. Um, and. He had three kick returns for 109 yards, including that 69 yarder in the nice. in the third quarter that like really kind of sparked sparked that drive and got us back. And we were losing, and it kind of got us going. And I just think those kind of things, like Doug was willing to do, he was willing to do whatever it took to win. And I think that's why his body let out on him because he mentally there was no one stronger. There was no one stronger than Doug Baldwin. His mental game was unmatched. Um, but you know, at some point, his body was not up to the task, and uh, he decided to walk away. I don't. I think there's a chance this is not the actual end for Doug Baldwin. I think there's a small chance that two years from now, or maybe even the beginning of next season, he decides I have something left in the tank and I have something to prove, and decides he wants to come out. And, and I, he's also and, somebody who has so much left in his life. I could see him choosing to just like have a good body for the rest of it. That's too. true. I could see that too. Um, my my thing is is that he's so competitive and. Uh, I would hope that he would give the Seahawks the right of first refusal, you know, say like, Hey guys, I'm coming out. Um, I'm going to, whatever contracts I get, I'll give you an opportunity to match. I would hope that he'd do that, but he doesn't, he doesn't owe the Seahawks anything. And I think that the way they've done all his friends, he might feel that way as well. You know, all his friends yeah. are Richard and Tavares and, um, all these guys. And I mean, they did right by Doug. They cut him so he can get an injury settlement and determine his contract. Like they, they did it the right way. They made sure he got as much of the money as they could. Um, I think that intentionally not screwing your players over is a, is a solid move. And I think what they, they did the same thing with Richard. They said, go get a big contract. Like, you know, we can't pay you like you deserve to be paid. We can't afford it. And so I think that, you know, and it, I, it makes me sad that Richard kind of burned every bridge on his way out, but I don't see Doug doing the same thing. You know, I, I, I see, I could see him subtweeting Russ a little bit. And that's been like a controversial thing that's happened since then. There's been a little drama. He didn't retweet, uh, Russell Wilson's like, Hey, thank you for your career. Yeah. Post, no likes on a few, no likes on anything Russ says. And he specifically thanked Tavares Jackson. Uh, and that's also, the, that's the deepest cut. He of also all. Doug Baldwin thanked, thanked my guy, Bill, Be- or uh, Daryl Bevel. Which um my my everyone know everyone who is long time listener to this podcast know my pet theory was Daryl Bevel doesn't suck that bad he's just saddled with stupid Tom Cable so um, maybe Doug Baldwin agrees with me that's all that's all that's all I gotta say um, of all the things I think that I could see Doug Baldwin doing which is almost anything I don't see him becoming a coach no I just I think he'd that. have a hard time watching the game yeah, I, I feel think- like it would be a waste but really cool if he was a sideline reporter for Monday Night Football. Because he's very good looking, he's very well spoken. He knows what he's talking about. Oh man, he'd be he'd be great. He'd be the in best. Booth. He'd be great in the booth. See you later, oh, Booger McFarland. If I, I want to bring up an actual catch, like a catch in a game, uh, Minnesota, ten nine victory. Uh, that catch he makes in the I think it was the the one handed catch where he he they were driving, we're losing, and we're driving. Uh, it's third and 10, 14 oh eight to oh, go man, in the third quarter. Beautiful catch. He, he comes across and makes like a one handed catch uh, over. Uh, who is he? Who is he guarding him? Uh, it was uh, Captain Munner or Captain Munnerlin, I think. Yeah. So, but dude, just an just an an insanely uh, 
crazy one-handed catch, one of the best catches I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, that's just uh, he's he was in he's an iconic Seahawk. Uh, not retire the number, Ring of Honor though for sure for me. Uh, I loved his beef with Deion Sanders. Just his absolute like just the way he would look for any chip he could possibly gather to that shoulder. You know, and the way that he let it drive him and the way he took charge of the receiver's room and let it drive the entire receiver's room, valuable. Well, he, his beef with Deion Sanders, for those that don't know, is, you know, there was the tag, the, the no-name receiving core, and he had a pedestrian. Big, pedestrian. pedestrian. He had a big problem with that, as he should have. And anytime he got in uh, Dion's uh, proverbial face about it, Dion would, of course, <laughs> you're excited, aren't you, young man? You're excited. <laughs> I know, I know, you guys are good. And it was, it's funny, he changed perceptions by both on the field and also saying, hey, I'm right here, say it to my face. All right, uh, so, that's it, that's it. Oh, and the disgusting act. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was, that was Randy Moss. Uh, uh, okay, anyway. <laughs> Let's go ahead and hit the, uh, the money zone. Uh, if you want to support the Seahawks next pot, next pot, next seat, Hawks. Next. Seahawks Woo! Nest podcast. If you want to, if you want to produce the next Seahawks <laughs> Nest podcast, that's what I meant to say. Uh, there are many ways to do so. You can head over to Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest and for as little as a dollar twenty-four a month, get access to uh, a couple things. You can get access to the Seahawks Nest group chat, uh, which we have uh, opened up to all Patreons. You can get access to the uh, Seahawks Nest uh, in-season betting podcasts. And uh, Kevin posted up some of his like uh, pre-draft scouting reports. You can take a peek at. Yeah, sorry, I got busy with boards. I didn't post the rest. Yeah, he'll post the rest. I apologize. Later. <laughs> there, there's there's more. It'll come, it'll come over the summer. It will still be relevant because the season won't have started yet. Yes. Um. So then, uh, really, I'm just trying not to Malik McDowell anyone. That's but, uh, what happened the last time I posted a video. Yeah. The oh man. The so the patrons though. You guys help us out. Forrest, Chuck Attila, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Bob, Kieran, Brett, Mike, David. Keith, Flockness Prime Keith, Arthur, Frank, Michelle, Gavin. Gavin is our new Patreon. Big Welcome shouts, board, big Gavin. shouts, Gavin. You're the you're the Gavin. Best. Appreciate uh, you tweeting us, wouldn't you? Richard, Matt, yeah, he's he's out active on Twitter. I talk to that all the time. Michael, Josh, uh, Augustine, Eggers Double. That's uh, that's Brian, uh, Scott, William, Russell, Zach, Ke- Kevin. Kevin's in here. Kevin, yeah, I am. You're Kevin, welcome. Kevin's also a Patreon. Cody, Kimberly, and Nick. You guys are all awesome. You guys help us out. Um, and I hope one day that list is so long that I actually can cut. Uh, I'm actually going to cut some people. We out. can chunk it. <laughs> uh, so then uh, the we look uh, forward to be big enough celebrities that we can ignore some of our fans. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, thanks, Nathan. If you don't have any money, you want to support, head over to Twitter, give us a follow, retweet some of our stuff, uh, post this podcast on Reddit. Um, I don't like self promoting on Reddit because people get squidgy about it. So um, you post it for me, and I will comment. And then, uh, but don't post any of the weird sex subreddits. No, post it on dragons fucking. <laughs> post hey. it on our dragons fucking cars. <laughs> <laughs> if I get one person we to know vi- our fans. if I can get one person to visit that subreddit, that was worth it. That joke was worth it. All right, uh, you can give us a like on any of your favorite. Not Ken M. <laughs> any of your favorite uh, uh, podcast apps. Give us five stars. Give us a, a plus one, a like. Uh, any any of that stuff. Any internet points? Um, let's see how. Let's. I haven't checked this in a while. Let's see if we got any uh, new iTunes reviews because that is like that is like really uh, not fun to do. Yeah, um, the race to sixty nine. Oh yeah, we're we're one closer. Nineteen to nineteen to go. Oh, uh, five stars. Uh, best Hawks best Hawks podcast. My husband makes me listen to this in the car all the time, and we love it. Oh, 
All right, there we go. All right, well, thank you, lady. A great podcast for all your Seahawks information. <laughs> Who is a lady? The show is that rocks. That what we're doing the now? Show- oh god, yeah. I, did, I did a John C. Riley just for you. Ooh, this one. How about this one? Show rocks. <laughs> The plus the movie reviews are killer. They pushed me over the edge to watch Creed, which was one of the best movies I've seen in a decade. Hey, I agree with that. Creed, we, got, awesome. we have two All listeners right. for Movie Club. Man, I haven't read through these reviews in a while. Uh, <laughs> wait, uh, thanks, Woodstock, Alamo, Smooth, Glazer Owl. Man, you guys are... <laughs> These my pe- these my people here. I'm gonna oh, when you know you have cultivated the correct fans for you. Woodstock Alamo is a great username. Okay, that is a great. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, movie zone. We got a couple movie zone related questions uh, in the in the mailbag. So I'm just gonna we're just gonna knock those out. I reach go. deep in that mailbag. Uh, so here we go. Favorite Bond movie. Oh, I'm gonna go weird. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I I'll be honest. I love Bond. I always love Bond. When I was a kid, Kevin can tell can contest this. I went on Netflix. And used uh, the Netflix movies to watch every single James Bond movie. Yeah, on the Nathan and of, like, I marathoned it in you know, like eighth grade. I think I made Kevin watch at least half of them because we get like one. We watched every all of them. Of, you were you came up for all of them? Yeah. yeah they, and I will say, living um, two blocks away was good. <laughs> if I if I had to pick one though, I think I like Casino Royale a lot. Uh, it incorporates something that I really like, which is gambling. <laughs> if, Dang. If you didn't already know, I freaking love gambling and uh it, there that's like a, a critical plot point of the movie is that like we're gonna play poker which is cool to me um and i just i find that movie quite enjoyable it really rebooted bond and modernized it in a way that i think was probably going to be really difficult and uh i really enjoy that film uh how about this if i had just pick don't pick a pierce brosnan one or i will turn mm-hmm. i will turn the podcast off <laughs> that's that's my only requirement for you eric go ahead Wait, um, who? Exactly. Oh, uh, you mean Remington Steel? Right. Yeah. Don't pick a Remington Steel Bond. Okay. That's yeah. I, I don't. I didn't really like Remington Steel only, as Bond. You can only pick that if you're picking your favorite Remington Steel episode, um, which happens to be Goldeneye in that situation. Uh, favorite Bond movie? I'll say also, man, Casino Royale. Really, Daniel Craig coming in and bringing some depth to the character, not just the game of wanting to be suave, but uh, a guy that you believed could kill someone with his bare hands did it. Uh, I also liked as a kid. I really like View to a Kill because Dolph Lundgren's in it, and Grace Jones is in it, and it's weird. And it's got like my one of my least favorite Bonds doing some <laughs> actiony stuff, Roger Moore. But uh, yeah, that's you know, that's where I'm at. You know what one is like pretty underrated? Uh, License to Kill. Oh, a uh, lot of people hate t- Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. I Here's th- the problem with License to Kill: it is four hours long. And Benicio del Toro is seventeen in it, yeah, and, and it would have been so better sweet. if it wasn't a Bond movie. Yeah, and if if they would just cut true. it by two hours, I feel hours. like all of the Dalton Bonds would have been better if it was just a different series. I'll tell you this right now: I I read some Ian Fleming a few summers ago to be like, I wonder what these uh, James it's not Bond. Great. They're awful, and which, I read which, the, which more Bond did you say? I wasn't paying too close attention. Living Let Die, Diamonds Are For wait, wait. No, I said a. Uh, uh, view to a kill. View to a kill. That's not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Um, but I read these books, and they're they're basically any weird snippet from a James Bond movie is what the short stories were based on. It's really yeah. strange. Yeah, it's really weird stuff. So for me, I as a kid, my favorite was Moonraker because it was the dumbest of all the really dumb over the top. That is ones. the that is the perfect little kid favorite James <laughs> Bond movie is ever. So because none of them were like good. None of them Moon- were good. Moonraker is like ludicrous. Moonraker though. is over the I, top I, stupid. I think Spy Who Loved Me is not bad, dude. It's fine. Yeah. But they're all fine. So I want the one that's like the dumbest. So then... Plus, Goldfinger, Goldfinger is, had like the best tagline, dude. Well, because all the Casino he, Royale. Everything he touches turns to excitement. 
Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a section. Um because Casino Royale is my favorite just from a movie perspective. How much I feel like the I feel like the Daniel Craig movies, they've done a really good job of putting together a modern action movie that is appealing. Even Quantum of Solace was was decent. I feel like those are getting crapped. I feel like they're getting crapped on by people who just didn't want the series to ever update and become modern and forget how like kitschy and but, not very. But good like the old ones Skyfall are. is so much better than Quantum of Solace, and so is Casino Royale. Like, oh yeah, Quantum of Solace is just a bang average movie. It in is, my but uh, but especially Casino Royale was is an excellent. It is the best Bond movie in my opinion as well. Uh, okay. I just wanted to mention Moonraker because I a didn't want to only mention Casino Royale okay. again, but and wait. B Moonraker is ridiculous. How much do you guys like? <laughs> how much do you guys like ski chases? Because if you do, your favorite is On Her Majesty's Secret Service. That, Not would, close. that would be that movie has so many ski chases. That movie is all ski chases. They're oh, sweet. on a mountain. You got to put at least. What's the three one with there. What's the one where the car does a does a barrel roll off the ramp? Which one's that? Uh, I can never, uh, never say never. Ever. I don't know that one's pretty sweet too. Never say never oh, again. Is that that maybe. one? Maybe. I think it's a it's a Connery. It is a Connery. Um. So that really then it's I picked one. You could pick one of the seventeen others. Okay. So anyway, yeah, James Bond. We're I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. I'm a Bond fan. Let's get into an even but, better action series though. Oh no! Here we go, Kevin. There's another oh, mailbag question? question. Yeah. All here right. we go. Bond or Ethan Hunt. Um, if you're asking me which one I'd rather see in a movie right now, I'm honestly would be more excited about the next Mission Impossible movies than the next James Bond movie. Cast Idris Elba as the next Bond, damn it. Yes, I would be into that. That'd be cool. Uh, but but the thing is, the thing about those Mission Impossible movies is so funny is just like how stupid they are. Yeah. Like they're just like they're exactly what they we're are. We're gonna push it to the absolute limit. Well, like, I think it's not insane. so much a limit. A, a movie as it is a plot written around what weird stunt can Tom Cruise do. And then let's make a movie about it. Because that's really the selling point of these movies. They're pretty good, but there's always some weird stunt that Tom Cruise really did. And that's what you're there to see. That's what brings you um, in. And then the the, la- the other question we got was Movie Club related. Rise of Skywalker, Global Box Office, over under $2 billion. And surprisingly, you have no idea how much in my wheelhouse this question is. Um, as like a... I'm actually like... <laughs> Kevin. Kevin's a pretty good box office pro- prognosticator. And I would say that I'm also a very good... Uh, box office uh, guesser and i'm going clearly under two billion's a big a big road to uh to how only four movies have ever or five movies have ever made it over 1.67 and i feel like as much as superhero fatigue is a thing star wars fatigue is a more real thing i mean the last jedi especially with really awful blowback the last jedi didn't get even get close i think releasing at christmas is really tough because the marketplace is always way more crowded the reason you're seeing endgame be so successful now is like everyone cleared out of the way the first two weeks of endgame there was nothing else in the theater a theater uh, if i'm a manager of a theater i'm open to show endgame on like i own a 16 all your premium i own a 16 screen theater i can show endgame on like 13 of my screens probably which is just an absurd amount of volume for a movie like that so that's that's why i think endgame is going uh, so well endgame's endgame is going to get to three billion endgame got to dominate all the imax screens all the 3d screens for basically three weeks um, so yeah, I'm going under two billion on that one. Um, also, they're coming off of uh, the Last Jedi that pissed a lot of people off to and the then point Solo where a lot of people didn't bother watching. Yeah, where which they... is funny because that movie was made for the people that that uh, the Last Jedi pissed <laughs> off. Yeah, 100%. which is why you don't do that. Yeah, I agree with your fatigue, Kevin. All right, so now, now on to a modern 
action masterpiece. Yeah, this is the movie we actually want to talk about. This Friday, we're all seeing John Wick 3. Because so, we have good taste. And so long-time listeners are like, wait, they're going to talk about John Wick again? No, we're going to talk about John Wick 2. Got you. Tricked you. Tricked you all. <laughs> Though, honestly, uh, I would talk about John Wick 1 again. That's I, how good that I mean, I watched is. John Wick 1 for like the 12th time this week. I've watched it twice in the last week because of helping different people catch up so we could watch the movies. Um, let me think no about... No regrets. Let me Still think about all the things I like about the John Wick movies. One, I love you, John Leguizamo. That's it. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm just kidding. John Leguizamo is very good. Uh, Ian McShane. I love all of the small casting pieces in these okay. movies. Let's just talk. Let's talk. Can we talk John Wick two though? The opening scene. Okay, he goes into into like John Wick goes to recover his 1969 Ford Mustang. He goes in. It's a chop shop that is run by uh, Peter Stormare, and he goes into this chop shop and just starts murdering everyone yep it is it's just an it's and he stays hidden okay for a little bit something maybe the audience should know about me i like hard-boiled hong kong action films and these movies distill the essence of those movies and then america americanize it in a way that does not feel insulting it feels enriching like they're making it better um these movies are so good it is the old school chow yun fat shooting a gun a million times but then they they modernize it and americanize it and make it so like john wick is a headshot machine and he just like brutalizes people and it's like this but this is still really sweet like i just am still really into what is happening all the cuts have purpose there's no shaky cam you're allowed to appreciate the action it is shot with grace the fight choreography is excellent the lighting is thought about the stunts are real it's what happens when you get you know 40 to 80 million dollars to make a hong kong action flick so um so the plot of john wick 2 if you haven't seen it just turn the podcast off and go watch it what are you doing with your life and then come back if you (laughs) if you have seen it though spoilers uh, we're all giving it five out of five so now now (laughs) now uh let's just talk about it for a second so okay um john wick in the first movie which if you haven't seen the first movie turn the podcast off what are you doing what are are you doing doing with your life go watch john wick um because he's not the the only man He's the man you sent to go kill the fucking the boogeyman. The only thing I can say about John Wick 1 is if you are a person Bobby who God. really, really, really could never watch a movie where an animal gets hurt, I can see how this would be a tough watch for you because there's it, that's going to happen. But the but other than that, there's literally it's literally the sweetest action movie in the last 20 years. I'm, I mean, I'm like willing to go there. It's so good. Uh, it's so well put together. The action is hard hitting, stays, stays focused on the action. Um, they have lore in this movie, but they don't beat you over the head with it. They like make you learn it through the characters' actions and through things that happen. Yep. Which is how you're supposed to tell a story. Yeah. Don't. How stupid would those gold coins have been if he would have been like, "These are my gold coins. I can use them to buy things for underworld act." Like <laughs> instead, that's how bad movies work. And instead, this- they just show the gold coin sitting in his case in the first one, and then they show him, him uh, buying like no. A, then they show the Vigo open up the uh, but- his safe, and he has a rack of the gold coins in the safe, and you're like, "Oh, the big drug kingpin also has these put in his safe. These are valuable and underworld related." And they, but no, but then the way and they they, they manage to is he pays this cleanup for guy party. for the dinner party and gold coins to clean up the um the thing okay so in the second movie though um he comes up the italian crime lord uh his name's santino right he comes up to him and he says uh i have a marker basically john he got out of the hitman game by doing an impossible task but to do this impossible task he had to give a uh, unbreakable promise to santino so santino says you have to go kill my sister so i can sit at the high table i can be the 
You can be part of the uh, the crime um, overlord committee. The so, um. Then anyway, John goes and he kills her. <laughs> I mean, it's a in little a, in it's a somewhat beautiful scene. It's, a, it's, it's kind a of a pretty sweet scene. thing where they're at like this. They're they're at a uh, like giant a concert She's, concert party. It's basically the saxophone she, player she, band from the Lost she Boys. Like, she like gets in the bath and slits her wrist, but he decides like, no, you can't die like that, and he shoots her in the head. Um, you know, because you don't want to. If you slit your own wrist, you go to hell. You know, so like John, John's got to <laughs> stop that. Okay? He's got heart. Um, he's got heart, and then um, so then Cassian, who is played by Common, sees that John and is like, "Oh snap, time to die. Uh, we got to kill him." And so Common's he, really good. John, was, John, are you working tonight? I'm afraid Ca- so. Cassian uh, like pursues him, and then like vows he's going to kill him. The the fight scenes between Cassian and John in this movie are like the really good, the highlight. It's yeah. so good. Common was rocking the uh, shit in this movie. Yeah. What about? And then we get a payoff in this movie. John Wick kills a guy with a pencil. Yeah, which is uh, a payoff like from the, back to payoff the, first, from the movie. first movie, which is so <laughs> with sweet. Fucking pencil. Um, <laughs> so I like when he leaves Cassian alive in the thing because professional respect, you know. He like he's like, don't pull that pen pen uh, that knife out because you'll die, and he like just leaves him there. Yeah, like he can't fight him anymore. Um, yeah, he leaves the knife in the artery so that he has to like leave him. Uh, yeah. I also like um, uh, Larry when Fishburne. he shows up in Italy and he has to uh, like you know procure his things, and you get to see like. Oh, this is an international syndicate because it's all set up the same way it was set up in, uh, you know, in New York or whatever. What a scum! What a scumbag uh, Kat, uh, Santino is too. He puts out like a seven million dollar hit on John. Oh, he's such a piece of crap to it's avenge great. his sister that he told John to kill. Yeah, which then you see, um, it's for appearances, but then you see all these kind of like not John Wick weird hitmen that you know, twins and younger people, and uh, they they don't go very far yeah I, larry king is more the lore, though. King, or larry larry fishburne is the bowery king was really good that, that was that was just a completely unnecessary bit of wonderful yeah that he's like the bowery king he like looks for help he ends up killing the santino in the continental which you can't do business on continental ground so they they excommunicate him with him and they double the bounty on john wick which i'm 100 percent sure is the plot of john wick 3 yes but also it's a direct lead-in but also it is. ian mcshane the owner of the Continental, before he excommunicates him, says, I'll give you a one-hour head start, and I'll give you... A, and he gives him a marker, too. Cause, so he gives him a favor that John can turn in, uh, which I think is, like, very telling to that they, John has helped a lot of people. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. I don't know. I'm pumped for John Wick 3. Like, I've um, never been more excited for a movie in the last, like, I don't know, long time. It's I would been a say long time. It's, it's up there with, like, a... Um, Force Awakens, that was, a movie that I was, I was just like pumped to see. I was so pumped for Force Awakens. Um, yeah, there's there's a handful of movies that I've been like this. You know, my body's been ready for uh, us in a way. I was really pumped for us earlier this yeah. year. Yeah, oh, us, us was so good. Uh, I yeah, wa- that paid off. I watched it again. I bet. Um, didn't see it in a theater. Wink, wink. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but I did watch it again, and oh man, it was better the second time. I would say I'm looking de- forward to buying 100% that. percent rewatch it. I'm going to buy it the day it comes out on streaming. I'm so pumped. Uh, can I talk about a couple other people from uh, from John Wick Two though? Uh, Ruby Rose, the Santino's like enforcer. Yes. The mute. Uh, she's mute, and she's she's daggers in this movie. She's great. Yes. Um, Aries. I thought she was awesome. Um, the mirror scene is really great. No, that, that was it. That was the only other person I really wanted to mention. Uh, <laughs> well, Franco Nero's in this movie. He's the he's like the um the Rome the Rome the Rome Continental. Yes. He's the he's the like concierge for that one. 
which is pretty cool. You can just pretend he's Django, uh, the original Django. Yeah. He is the original Django. No, but you can just pre- pretend it's the same character. Django! That's his retirement. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, uh, so, talking about the third one, you know, that we're looking forward to seeing. I never knew that in my life I needed a scene where a man was being chased on motorcycles while riding a horse, having a gunfight. I didn't know I needed that in my life. Then I saw the preview. I needed that in my life. I just They're finding holes in my heart, and they're filling them. That's what I have to say about that movie. Yeah, but it's so cool. They're like, let's put Mark DeCascos and like, and like Halle Berry in this movie. Like, There's so many cool people in this movie. I like how they also have this balance where there's some people who you know about and you respect already. And then there's people like that are kind of getting a break, or like Angelica Houston's in the movie. That oh yeah, didn't know that was gonna happen. That's neat. Sure, why not? Um, yeah. So okay. Any anything else you guys want to uh, throw in here before we uh, no just head head on out to? Uh... I hope they take a three-year break with john wick after this but not much longer I have, oh i'd be fine if this was the last one <clears throat> i have heard that this is um want to keep going that this is it oh i don't need that see i would rather it, there be three awesome movies and then like go do another cool project the Let's... thing about john wick 3 57 reviews 95 percent positive um it's already pretty critically acclaimed so clearly one person has really bad taste uh, no, that'd be that'd be two. Um, you want to read the negative reviews and just get mad? Sure. Although the action scenes are again superbly choreographed by returning director, his third time behind the lens has far more Teflon than tension. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. Good for him. Um, and another one is the movie should be rights be by rights be a wow, but it feels bloated, self conscious, and pretentious with long waits between its few dazzling fights. How long is the movie? It's not even two hours. Um. The movie is, oh man, I I usually have that. It was over. like 124, 131. So it's 130. Us is a little over two hours. It probably will be exactly two hours, which is really long. I'm just gonna throw that out there. For me, that's that's about the it's limit. It's two hours and two minutes. The actual the actual run length. The actual of the yeah, movie is gonna be less. Um, but maybe there's an after credit scene where where Samuel Jackson asks John Wick to join the Avengers. I, I'd be down for that. You never know. Baba Yaga. Bobby, Bobby Yaga, you, uh... Oh, by the way, do you know who else is in this in this movie? Fucking Jason Manzukis. <laughs> and Boban's in it. You know who Boban is? No. The NBA player, Boban Marjanovic. Oh, yes. He's oh, just a big, goofy-looking guy. Um, Jerome Flynn's in this movie. He's, uh, he's from Game of Thrones. Uh, Th- Throne Game. He's the... He's, uh, he's, he's Braun. Uh, but, Strong bro, man. Um, there's a bunch of, like, like, action movie stars from... From other countries that you guys won't know, but uh, like, like the guy from Tiger Chen from from oh, uh, from Man of Tai Chi. You have you seen that movie? Yeah. Or like a uh, Triple Threat. Like that guy's in this. Um, nice. By the way, Triple Threat. Pirate, pirate that Kevin ASAP. <laughs> it's it's got mixed reviews, but I don't know why because this is the stupidest thing. I wanted to see it if so you, bad. If you put Michael Jai White and Tony John in a movie, you better believe I'm gonna find a way to watch that, even if you don't really release. I it wanted to see theaters. that movie, and they really they gave it a one day release, and so it's on them when I pirate it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, all right. That's that's a uh, because I'll probably buy that movie. <laughs> all right for Kevin Garber for Akronovic, we will see you next week. Go Hawks. Go, 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 go.